This is Hunting Land, the podcast for land hunters and land owners with real-time rut reports, waterfowl migrations, and how-tos for habitat management and land investment. Clint, it's time, man. This is the weekend typically for South Alabama deer hunters where you, know, you can pretty much count on the rut kicking off. And uh, we're already getting some reports in from folks that are taking some deer down. We've got a big front coming in this weekend. Uh, I believe the winds on Saturday are supposed to be south, like 20 miles an hour. And then the winds on Sunday are going to be north 20 miles an hour. So it's a significant front coming through, which ought to get the deer up and moving. That's probably not going to affect necessarily the rut, but it's going to put a lot more hunters in the woods. I would estimate that Monday and Tuesday, there's going to be a lot of people call out sick for work and a lot of deer die. What do you think? You getting after him this weekend? Oh, yeah. Taking the uh, my son out, and we're going to chase him as best you can with a five-year-old and a BB gun. <laughs> well, you'll have a good time no matter what. That's for sure. Those strong northerly fronts coming through, that usually means some more ducks are in the area. So we're going to have a duck uh, duck report coming up here pretty soon. But before we get to that, let's talk to Chris Cook. Chris is with the Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. He's got a real good handle on what's going on uh, with the rut in South Alabama. Chris, welcome to the show, man. I was just telling Clint that, you know, I always look at Martin Luther King weekend as pretty much peak rut for South Alabama. It's always been at least where the places where I've hunted in South Alabama. I know a lot of guys are going to be in the woods this weekend or heading up. We've got a strong front coming in. What's uh, what's the word from, from our public lands? Are we starting to see good rut activity across the south of the state? Yeah, the, the wasp management areas we have, uh, particularly the ones south of, of Highway 80, or basically all of them, they're either right in the, the middle of the, of the breeding or they're just getting started. You know, they're going to they're gonna peak a little bit later. But, but say Barber WMA and Blue Spring WMA, they're, the deer there breed a little bit earlier than, than most other WMAs in that part of the world, and so they're going to peak, uh, you know, around the between the 20th and 25th, somewhere in there, typically, and then, then other ones such as Perdido River and and uh, Geneva, their peak is maybe a week later, around the first of February, somewhere right in there. So, uh, and then we've got, you know, we've got some up north that are that are late to uh, Freedom Hills. There's is there's a similar to to Barber and, and and Blue Spring. It's that last 10 days of January is when when the the peak is going to be in there and uh kusa is another one that's that's a little bit later so uh but yeah it, basically it's it's everything south of kind of like the middle of the state south all those all that public land typically is peaking right now or uh will be last week of january first week of february man it's an exciting time uh, I, this is the time of year where you've got to spend as much time in the woods as possible if you'll do that and you can find some does Typically, you're going to run into a buck uh, in short order. You know, what about, I think in the southern part of the state, there's a lot of food plots and whether they're, you know, meant for feeding deer or meant for killing deer is another another show altogether. But that's typically an afternoon thing. I know guys will, some guys like to hunt them in the mornings, but typically it's an afternoon thing. Do you, do you find any success uh, with any particular strategy? in the mornings during the rut or do you focus more just on just getting in a place where you know deer are are going to frequent and, and hoping that a, a doe drags a buck in, in front of you 
Yeah, I mean, during the morning or during you know most of the day, you just you just want to be in a place where where deer are like are likely to be traveling through, you know, areas between where they typically bed and where they feed. So once the does start coming in the heat, you know, all bets are off on when you're going to see deer moving. They're going to be getting harassed and pushed by bucks all day. So especially if the weather's good. You just want to be in those areas. And like you said, in the afternoons, you know, it's hard to beat a good area that where deer are going to come to feed. So food plots are are great places because the bucks are are looking for those days that are coming in the heat. and, And those are good places for them to to find plenty of targets to check out you don't necessarily have to be on the food plot but in and around them and you you'll able to see you're going to see activity most all all day if uh if the deer aren't being pressured too much during the rest of the year and and uh, if the if the weather conditions are are conducive for deer movement you you know you're you need to stick with as long as you can during the day yeah it's definitely time of year to to pack a lunch well I yeah, know you guys yeah. have been, uh, the big item on, on the state's list has been fighting chronic wasting disease. So tell me a little bit about the progress that we're making uh, with regards to that. And if there's anything folks can do to you know, get involved in trying to keep this thing out of our state and, and just minimize it. You know, within the last year, our neighbors to the west and the north, Mississippi and Tennessee have, have found CWD positive deer. So they're in the mix as far as trying to, trying to get a handle on how they're going to manage deer moving forward and, and and deal with living with cwd uh fortunately we haven't detected it yet in alabama we're, we're increasing our surveillance efforts across the state especially up in northwest alabama uh in the counties that are within 50 miles of those positives in mississippi or tennessee and uh, one of the things that we're doing a little different than we have in the past you know in the past we typically will we'll work on getting samples from from roadkill deer or, or sick deer that people call us about and, and of course hunter harvested deer will work with processors and, and taxidermists to help get samples but for this year one thing we're doing that uh, the other states have utilized and uh, with quite a bit of success is to have drop-off points set up at businesses or, or just any location where we can we have a covered shed to put the freezer and, and electricity plug it in and, and we have these set up points or drop-off points where, where hunters can if they want to get their deer tested to help us with our, our surveillance efforts, they can come by and all the materials there are, are available at the, the drop-off points to, to bag the deer. Just put the head, you know, cut the head off with a couple inches of neck still attached. It's a buck. We ask that to cut the antlers off and then put the uh, head in a bag, tie it up, and then attach a tag that's available there at the drop-off point that you that the hunter would fill in the information as far as where it was killed and, and their contact information. Uh, those tags also have a receipt at the bottom where they can take it, and, and there's a number that corresponds with the, the number that's on the, the sample card, and so they can they will be notified when the results are back on their deer, and they just drop it in the, cool, in the freezer, and, and our guys come in and pick them up. Chris, where can folks find these drop-off locations? All of our district offices are available for people to drop off their heads, you know, across the state. They, they're available during normal business hours, and, and we request that people call to make sure somebody's there to, to either pull the sample while they're there or take the head and put it in the freezer. Uh, those sites, and then the sites up in North Alabama, all those locations are, are all that information is on our website, OutdoorAlabama.com. And uh, moving forward, uh, our plans are to make more of those sites available throughout the rest of the state for next hunting season. 
this year it was a you know priority was trying to get more samples up in those counties adjacent to, to the Tennessee and Mississippi and but we do have the district offices available for a drop off from now to the end of hunting season. Excellent. Like Scott five district offices as well as our wildlife office in Demopolis. It's not convenient for everybody, but, but we we hope that the people that can make use of it will make use of those opportunities to help us with our sampling effort. Well, Chris, uh, thanks for everything you guys do. I know it's a uh, it's an important subject and an important fight. Good luck with it for the rest of the year. Thanks for the rut report. Be safe out there, man. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks. Anytime. Thanks, Chris. Clint, I know it's always a hard choice to decide. What do you do? Do you chase ducks? Do you chase deer? Personally, this this time of year, I gotta I gotta go for deer, man. It's just too good a chance that that the big boy's gonna walk out. But you did a little duck hunting last weekend, didn't you? Went to went to Arkansas, right? I did, and that decision has been made very easily this year. Unfortunately, yeah. we, we don't have the birds. Weather has been a struggle this year. Uh, but what what about Arkansas? How'd y'all do up there? We got a few. I mean, we weren't skunk, but we came very close, and we really? were hunting private ground, low pressure. There was just not many birds in and what few were is kind of the same story we hear everywhere they were very displaced by a lot of water well let's find out why that is we got seth maddox on the line seth is the migratory game bird coordinator for the state of alabama seth it's been a tough season man the the birds are just not here uh or if they're here i don't know where they are uh you get to fly over a lot of ground and see uh where the ducks are what's what's going on in alabama and, and what's going on north of us yeah, it has been a tough season, guys. It's so it's a weird year for weather-wise, and uh, so we flew our, our midwinter aerial surveys last week, and uh, we're about thirty percent below average uh, for this time of year on birds, which translates to uh, several thousand birds not in the area. Uh, you know what's happened is that uh, just like in Alabama, where we've we've experienced a, a ton of rain and uh, seasonably warmer temperatures than normal, uh, it's happening across the U.S. So there's practically no snow and ice accumulations to uh, to, to push birds south for migration. And uh, the birds that uh, that are in Alabama or other states, they're just spread out because of all the habitat available to them uh, with all the rainfall and flooding. When you've got a lot of water like this, does it have an effect down the line? I mean, you know, we they talk a lot about ducks with relation to what's happening up in the tundra and their nesting habitat. When you have a year like this year, and I, I Again, I'm making a uh, an assumption, but I'm going to assume that duck harvests total will be down for the year. Does this mean that those ducks get killed in other states? Do we have any data on that uh, as far as would this help future seasons with better breeding uh, with just more ducks that aren't taken? Not necessarily. Some species that are available in these states are taking a pounding. Uh, for example, uh, model ducks, which are resident ducks along the the coastal uh, the Gulf Coast, seem to be taking more of a pounding this year because other species aren't available. Scop are taking a little more of a pounding this year because they they are available. So it, it, it's a uh, it's a balance it's a balancing act uh, that you have, and so you're seeing take it, people or hunters take advantage of of what's available in the situation when they're hunting. And then you also have nature that plays a key factor in that is that. Uh, you're going to have birds die from natural causes anyway. So hunting-related mortality uh, normally takes out uh, some of those birds that were going to die anyway. And so I'm not sure that we'll see better propagations of birds in the future because this is a slow year for hunting. Uh, It it really doesn't work out that way uh, most of the time. But, you know, we have really high numbers of birds right now. 
you know, with, with all the, the water on the landscape, all the new habitat, the birds should be in good condition for migration back north uh, because of all the food available. Well, we do well, have, they don't have to go very far. Yeah, that's right. We do have a strong front coming in this weekend. Uh, looks like a big snowstorm, uh, so big that they even named it. But that could just be them trying to get ratings, you know. <laughs> but, but it looks like there's a big snowstorm moving up north with a real strong front. Should push some birds down. I guess the issue is still going to be, though, that we've, just, we've got too much water to really concentrate them. Yeah, that'll be still part of the issue. Uh, we still have a lot of water on the landscape, and we're going to gain more from this storm, even though we're getting snow and ice up north. Uh, it's going to bring rain to the southeast, and so it's going to put more more water on the landscape. But it should push some birds this way. The last couple of weekends, I talked to one of my colleagues in another state who has some marked birds he can follow. And when we had that, that 70-degree temperature a couple of weekends ago, birds were some birds were going south. Some birds were going north, some birds were going east, some birds were going west. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know where they were supposed to go uh, because the weather was so warm. And there, a lot of birds were going back north uh, into areas where the seasons are already closed. They're just sitting there fat and happy. But, you know, with a storm like this, it should push them this way. So we should start seeing more birds show up, whether that equates to uh, better hunting success uh, may not be the case because there's so much water on the landscape and uh, where you're hunting, you may push them into areas where there's no hunting. So uh, we'll see what happens. Well, Seth, you made my decision easy for the weekend. I know what I'm going after. <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to chase deer. But uh, thanks, man. Thanks for the report. Hope you guys uh, be safe out there may, flying over and doing those counts. Uh, hopefully we get to talk to you again before the season ends. And uh, thanks again for the report. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. Hey guys, I get a lot of questions from landowners who want to know, what's my land worth? So I wanted to take a second to tell you about a video series we created explaining everything that goes into land values and how we can assess what your property is worth. Just plug this into your internet browser, bit.ly slash huntingland, just like the podcast. That's bit.ly slash huntingland. Take a look at our video and see what you think. Well, Clint, I, man... It makes my decision easy for the weekend. I, I know I hate to see all that rain coming uh, right in the middle of duck season. It makes it really tough. We don't have a lot of, we don't have a ton of birds anyway, but anytime you see uh, water levels coming up like that, it's just not a good sign. But the good part about the rain is when we see a lot of rain back in the springtime and going into the summer when we're, when we're growing antlers, it usually leads to a pretty good deer season. And I have seen some really right nice bucks going down in Alabama this year. And I've seen some really nice photos of some really big bucks, some really good mature deer. Just have seemed like a lot of deer have put on a lot of antler this year. One of those places uh, that we've seen some of those photos coming from is Jake Peavy's Southern Falls Plantation. That's a property that you've got listed. That's right. It's one of the most diverse and really elite tracks I think I've ever stepped foot on. And they've assembled these tracks years ago and just, you know, took it from the ground up and, and, and boy, does it show. Yeah. I've been watching some of that stuff you've been posting on Facebook and, and drooling a little bit. I was lucky enough to get to tour the property with you, uh, during the spring and, and saw firsthand just the, the quality of the soils, quality of the timber, quality of the cover that's there. You know, today we're going to be talking about just really the key components in growing some of these really big deer and, and talking a little bit about quality deer management too. So today we got Chad Sprinkle on the line. Chad is a land manager at Southern Falls Plantation. Chad, 
welcome to the Hunting Land Podcast. Man, I, I got to know, uh, how's your season going so far? Oh, it's great, buddy. Y'all doing okay? Oh, man, can't complain. It's uh, it's my favorite time of year. Anytime we start seeing a, a cold front in January coming in, I, I get really excited. Oh, us too, man. We get fired up. I think anytime we get up here and get in the woods and, and get to be around this, it, it's a blessing. It truly is, and, and we look forward to it all year long. Well, I know I've seen a lot of nice deer coming off the place this year, and uh, you you guys do things. you got a, a, a method to your madness, so to speak, when it comes to qual- growing quality deer. And I think it's always important, too, to, to kind of talk about – everybody loves to talk about trophies, and they love to talk about monster bucks, uh, and those things are great, but, but quality deer are important, too. So I really want to know uh, what you guys are doing there at Southern Falls. So tell us a little bit about – you know, uh, really the order of importance when it comes to, to managing a track like that. How many acres do you have there at Southern Falls that, you, that you're, uh, you're managing? We're right around 4,000. Jake owns, you know, 2,300 plus, and, um, but all in all, right around 4,000 acres that, are, you know, butts up to the main property and, and that we're managing at this time. So when it comes to, to growing these deer uh, and really starting to see some exceptional quality bucks what, what do you feel like the most important thing that kind of the number one thing that you got to have uh before anything else you know i think the biggest thing is is location you know we talk about number one the one thing you can put your finger on and I, I really don't believe there's just one thing that's as important as everything you know the location um, there's different things and i mean you we can hit on whatever you want to hit on but so location when, when, when it comes to location what about what about Southern Falls is 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 great? I mean, you guys have got good soil. Is that do you feel like that's a big component? Is it is it your neighbors? When you say location, are you you focusing mo- mostly on the habitat or mostly on the neighbors or a combination of the two? I think I think the biggest thing is, is when you get up in this area around you know Wilcox County and you start knocking on the edge of you know the Black Belt and the, this soil up here and this this you know part of the country has been known for years and years and years to, to grow big deer. And, you know, and I think location obviously has a lot to do with where it's at and it has a lot to do with the neighbors who you have around you. I think it's huge. You know, I really do. When it, when I say location, it's just finding the right piece that's right for you, you know, and doing what you need to do to get it to grow big deer. Right. You don't need necessarily need to have 4,000 acres under your, under your management, but uh, you can have a, a 40 acres, but your neighbors are going to play a much bigger role in your ability to, to have quality deer if you've got a smaller tract is what it sounds like you're saying. Are y'all able to work with, with the neighbors around you? Got a large we do. Tract. We have a great relationship you know, with the guys around us, the, the landowners, and we have for years. And I think when Jake initially bought this property, that was one of the biggest things is knowing who his neighbors were and, and getting this this place to be what he wanted it to be what the overall goal was and over the years you know there's a lot of guys that we've communicated with uh around us and i think everybody that's the key is is communication you know with your neighbors and and all the guys that are with you trying to do this how do you bridge that gap i mean if you've got neighbors and you want to talk to them about uh, habitat management or quality deer management well, what have you guys done and had success with? Because, you know, inevitably you're going to find someone that's maybe not on board with what you've got in mind. But, 
you know, what do you feel like is a good way to start that conversation? I think, I think trying to see what your goal is. What do you, what am I trying to achieve? What are you trying to achieve? And if, if we have to compromise, I, I believe you can do so and, and keep great relationships with your neighbors and, and get to a point where you, you know, on board. Okay. I understand what you're going to do. You understand what I'm going to do. And, 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 and the same time, try to keep the peace as we all know, you know, it can get sometimes hunting can get a little crazy, but I think that's the biggest thing is just knowing where you stand. And, you know, you don't have to always believe in what I believe and I'm not going to believe in what you believe, but if we can get somewhere in the middle there and, and try to come up with a, you know, a plan, I think we'd both benefit as, as landowners, you know, and property managers and, and land managers. It would seem like the easiest thing, I guess, to agree on typically is just shooting mature deer. It doesn't have to necessarily be a minimum size, but a, you know, but that agreeing on that that age class, you know, would seem the easiest train of thought to, to jump on board with. And is that, you know, what you guys have been rotating it around? Yeah, yeah it, it really has. And it, we try. We understand people are going to make mistakes. Yeah, I mean, when you get up here in this country, um, a lot of us grew up. You know, if we we seen horns, we we got to shoot it. You know, I mean, from spice to four points, three points, whatever it was, you know, that was one of the things that we loved about hunting back then. Now, when you want to kill mature deer, you have to get them, you know, you got to let them grow. And and I understand that people are going to mess up and they're going to they're pull the trigger or, you know, or let the air fly when they should because you get caught up in the moment. That's why we, a lot of us do what we do hunt-wise is because we love it and we get caught up in it. But you got to minimize those mistakes. And when you minimize those mistakes, along with everything else that you're putting into it, you're going to grow big deer. You're going to you're going to see success in it. And it don't. We all know that. But this place, you know, for years, ten years now, we've been on a program. And in the last couple of years, we we've kind of uh, tweaked the program a little bit. You know, more success than I think we've ever seen before in the last couple of years. Chad, when it comes to letting them grow, like you said, do you guys use just a, an age that you're really trying to look and see? You know, we think that deer's four and a half, five and a half, six and a half years old. Uh, do y'all use antler restrictions, uh, body weights? How do you how do you go about deciding when he's um, mature enough? We, we we try to go off their age. We do a pretty good job when the guys walk in the door here. If we we have a ton of hunters that come in and uh, guys, you know, friends of, of ours that we grew up with and stuff like that. And we get them in here and, and Ralph bat, we walk them in and we start looking at deer and we start showing them pictures of deer and we start explaining to them, you know, what we believe mature deer is, what you need to look for. And, and I think when you're doing that and you're letting these guys know, Hey, you know, this is what we're trying to kill. Some of these guys have never killed deer. You know, never even seen a deer in the wild. So, I mean, those are the guys that we go sit with. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Buddy up. Yeah, I like that. Well, what what type of age do y'all look for? Our better deer, you know, five to six years old here. You know, we got a lot of deer, and a lot of our um, hunting is bow hunting. So if we can get a deer to five years old, we're seeing the most, you know, potential that, you know, right in that. And, and I know it's hard. You know, once you get four and five, it's hard to distinguish those two. You know, some of these deer up here, we've had some short genetics in this in this deer herd that some of our deer are short. You know, so you're looking at a deer, and in in the past we've had you know some of the biggest deer we've killed, some of the oldest deer we've killed. They might have been only 160 
to 180 pounds, you know, and, and then turn right around, kill one, you know, the same place, the same, you know, time of the year, whatever, and the deer be over 200 pounds, you know. So, but w- when we see these deer, and I think anybody has been used to judging deer and, and seeing deer, they, they can look and see a, a more mature deer. You know, I, I think things like QDMA and, and there's, there's all kind of, you know, programs out there that they do a good job of selling, you know, literature and pictures and you watch videos. And, and I think with all that, you start to kind of see what a mature deer looks like, you know, and you start trying to get to a point where you can, I love, I love watching the outdoor channel and just looking at, and I love aging deer. You know, I mean, I've, I've kind of made it a hobby just to look at a deer and, and not score a deer. You know, I know everybody gets caught up. Oh, that deer's 130 inches, 140, 150 inches. I like looking at deer and seeing if I can tell how old they are. Yeah, it is fun. And, and I think that's just a natural evolution of a hunter. Like you were talking about when you're younger, you get those opportunities to pretty much just pull the trigger. And I think that that is important for, for new hunters and young hunters to just get the opportunity to kill animals, period. Uh, but at some point, uh, you will progress whether someone pushes you into it or you just kill enough deer that you start to limit yourself. And it does become, uh, it, it morphs and it grows, but it is enjoyable to get out there and, and manage the deer that you have. You know, I want to get back, step back to one of the things that you said uh, earlier about sharing these pictures of these deer with the hunters that come onto the property. And it's really important, like you said, in helping them to age these deer and making sure that your deer get to the right age class. But what about your neighbors? Do you guys share results, share pick with them? Yeah, we do. Uh, and Joe, we've, we've had this year, uh, we, we got some new neighbors. Uh, we had a piece to get that got leased uh, close to us. Uh, we introduced ourselves right off the bat. Some great guys. You know, we we immediately, obviously, we got into the conversation about what they're going to shoot, what we're what we're shooting, and and what we're trying to do. And those guys, you know, and and he he also let me know. He said, hey, "Man, we're not nobody's perfect, we're, but we're going to try to get on the same page that y'all are on, and as far as growing, you know, big deer and and only trying to shoot, you know, mature deer. This has worked out well. They've had some guys that's killed some really nice deer, and uh, we've been communicating this whole entire season. Great group of guys." That's awesome to see. It it always eases uh, neighbor tensions when you can be open and share and enjoy their kills as much as they're, you know, enjoy each other's kills. It's it's really uh, how we grew up hunting. I know is, is you know, you, you got the camaraderie of deer hunting. And I know that in some places that that has gone away a little bit uh, as, as trophy management and quality deer management has become more popular, you do start to see a lot more squabbling, but it's good to hear that y'all are able to do that and everybody's getting along because that's, that's really what this is supposed to be about is, is having fun. But, you know, getting back to growing these big deer, you know, what I've heard you say so far is having everybody on board is really important. And and the size of the tract plays into that. You can, you, if you've got thousands of acres to manage, you can control what people do. If you don't have thousands of acres, then you better have good neighbors and good neighbors plays into location, which was your second point along with habitat. You know, location's obviously key in growing big deer. Third is just trigger restraint, not letting those deer express their potential. So what about does and another kind of hot topic right now is 
cold deer? What do you guys do for does? Uh, we try to, we try to look at our doe population every year. You know I mean? We've, we've never put just a, a set number on deer. They said, we got to kill this, you know, but, um, the does, we got to a point a few years ago where we weren't taking enough deer. You know, we, it gets to a point where people want to go out there and everybody wants to shoot a big mature deer. And, and we, we'd love to see that, but at the same time, how you get there and taking the does, it, that's one of the ways to get there, you know, getting your dope ratio, you know, buck to doe ratio down to where is a goal and it, it doesn't get achieved by them running out in front of cars. <laughs> right. No. What do you guys use as a management tool to assess your, your doe population? I think that's key. What you just said is, uh, having hunted, a, you know, in a lot of different areas, what a lot of land managers will do is they'll have a biologist come to their property and the biologist will say, hey, look, you've got 3,000 acres here and we think you need to shoot, uh, you know, 80 does this season. So they'll shoot their 80 does and then the next year they'll shoot 80 and the next year they'll shoot 80. And sounds like to me what you guys are doing are, is you're assessing the yearly population and making, a, and making a goal based off of that. What do you use to assess that population? A lot of times, I mean, it, don't get me wrong, we have brought the biologist in, and, and they said it'd be a good idea to take X amount of deer, you know, and, but what we do is a lot of times, whether it be from cameras, we have, we run around 40 cameras throughout the year, and and we'll see that footage, you know, those those pictures, and in the areas that we're, we're in, and, you know, when it's all said and done, and once our grass gets up, we'll start looking at it and, and we can kind of get a number. We'll talk to the biologists and get a number, how many deer we're seeing. I mean, to give you an example. The other day, we, you know, it's been a while back, but we, we were two fields and um, they're about a half, a month, maybe not a half a mile apart, close to it, whatever. Anyhow, we, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm looking at 28 deer in this field. And then their guy that I can actually, you know, almost see uh, in another field, he's got 25 in his field. And, you know, of my, of my 28, I had 14 bucks, you know? So if you look at it, I'm sitting here and thinking, okay, if, if all these 14, there's 14 bucks in here, there's, there's 14 does, we're doing pretty good, you know? But as far as the numbers, when, when you start seeing numbers like we did a few years ago, you start getting in there and you see 28 deer and you're starting to see four or five bucks and the rest are does, you know, that's when we start looking at it. And we, we've consulted with a biologist and, and I, like I said, I'm, I'm an internet biologist with the best of them. But when we, we talk to them and we give them, start giving them numbers from different areas and, and pictures and things like that, they'll come up with a number, you know, and whether that number's 50, 75, a hundred, you know, whatever that number is, you know, we try to stick to it. And but we don't base it off every single year we're going to shoot. Say if we do seventy five this year, you know we shot sixty last year. Um, you know if we can get around that number, our numbers right now, what we're seeing, you know our ratio is pretty good. I think we'll try to get around that same number. Um, but if we can't, you know that's we understand that. If we can get a little bit more than that, you know uh, that's fine too. I, I think we have a we have a healthy enough herd. You know we have enough going right now to where we we're seeing good numbers so i think as long as we can stay right there around that goes i like that i like the uh i like the on the ground approach 
to to doe management as opposed yeah. to just a blanket, you know, blanket uh, shoot this many until we feel like it's right. Uh, I think that's a good way to go. Right. One thing you see at Southern Falls is attention to detail, whether it's from the lodges all the way through the deer, other wildlife. It's, they don't spare any expense or, or time to get it right. As far as the cold deer go, you know, rolling from the does, you know, what what's your typical approach out there? Yeah, we're going to look at the deer. I mean, obviously, we're, we're looking for age. Um, we're basing, you know, just about everything off of, of age. And we're going to see if this deer, if we consider this deer to be a mature deer, and he's not what you want the rest of your herd to look like, then, you know, we're going to try to take this deer out of the herd, obviously. I think we grew up, everybody did, you know, a cold buck was what we wanted to make it to where we could put some meat in the freezer. You know, every time you went out there, you was looking for that, you was looking for that cold buck or what we call an excuse to pull the trigger. You know, I think people's gotten to a point now where they're, they're starting to understand, you know, and like we, I said, the biologist comes in and, and we can give, biologist A comes in here and he's going to tell us what he thinks a cold buck is. Biologist B is going to get in here, you know, and tell us what he thinks a cold buck is. But it's been working for us. We, we've seen success with taking mature deer that aren't what we want them to be, you know, and don't get me wrong. We've had some mess ups. I mean, over the years, I mean, they, you know, I mean, you have 125, I mean, you got a Pope and young deer walks in front of you and you got a, a bow in your hand and, you get caught up in the big white pretty horns and you'll make a mistake, you know, and, and, but all in all with the coal program, we've made mistakes. And, and I think over the years, we, we've gotten some genes out of this, out of this, um, whether it be a big six point, um, there was a six point kill here years ago that, I mean, it, it was over a hundred inch six point, you know, I mean, this, this is a nice, big mature deer, but obviously you're not trying to grow trophy six points. So well, I think deer what's key about what you said, Chad, is that y'all are letting these deer mature. A cull deer, on, uh-huh. you know, for you guys is still a mature deer. And I see it. I see it all over where guy shoots the deer. He's got four on one side and a spike on the other side. And that's a cull deer because he's got that spike on the other side. But we've learned that that's, that can be a, a damage to the, to the pedicle uh, that will correct itself in the, in the following year. Right. Without that deer getting to be uh, of an older age class, you really will never know what he is. And that, you know, that really gets to what, what is a trophy. You know, a lot of guys will say, well, a trophy is anything over 135 inches, 150 inches. You know, up in the Midwest, they may say it's 200 inches. But the reality in, in, <laughs> in my world is that, hey, a trophy is an old deer. And it sounds like that's what you guys are managing for is whether it's a 150-inch 10-point or a, uh, you know, a 60-inch three-point that weighs 240 pounds. That's an old deer, and uh, they need to go. They need to go at that point. 100%. I listened to a really good podcast over. It's called the Deer University Podcast. It's put on by the uh, Mississippi State, the guys at Mississippi State, and they uh, they had a study out of Texas that was done. It's done over a really long period of time, something like 10 or 15 years where they had deer uh, that were in pens, large pens, like 5,000 acre pens. And they had three different pens and they would capture these deer by helicopter. And long story short, they, they did three different tests. One, one pen, they did nothing. Uh, in one pen, they killed every year and a half old buck that didn't have six points or more. And then in the third pen, they had like three and a half, they had a, uh, an antler restriction on deer that were three and a half years and older. 
And at the end of the uh, experiment, uh, what they eventually learned was that it didn't make a, it didn't make a, a difference. Uh, anything that they did, yeah. and the more deer they killed, they actually found uh, you know not that not that hard to figure out that in the one and a half year old pen where they were shooting everything under a six point, it was hurting the deer population. They're kind of the the footnote of it all was the best thing you can do is let them grow. So I, I like what you what you guys are doing there. You know, we've covered a lot of ground here. The one thing we haven't covered though is food. Uh, we we talk a lot about food plots and habitat, and habitat gets into location. But what about supplemental feeding? Uh, what do you guys do with regards to that? And have you seen a difference? Yeah, we. I mean, as far as supplemental feeding goes, we we have. You know, we started something uh, a few years back. Um, we had guys come in here, like I said, from Tecumani and and you know, we, we they looked at it and looked at the soil and things like that, and, and looked at our deer herd and said, "Hey, man, y'all y'all don't have enough food." And basically, you know, you you invited all the neighborhood kids over, and you got one bag of chips. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it you know, it, it's not going to work out. So, and I, and I think people see that they expect us to grow big deer in Alabama and, and those deer grow off of briars and, and grass one time a year. It's just not going to work. So what we did, we had a guy come in, you know, a couple folks consulted with us and they said, look, you got to get more uh, feed on, you know, uh, food to them, food on the ground, uh, plant it year round and, and go from there and y'all going to see results. And, and man, were they right? We really have seen the results. We've gotten to a point now where uh, we put, you know, we got some annuals in the ground right now, obviously. Um, but a lot of our perennials, um, we got some stuff that's the ground. And one of our favorites is clover. We've, we've been doing a lot with clover the last few years. And, man, it's, it's me and, and the deer love it. And, and I think when the supplemental feeding, you know, it's going to help you keep the deer year-round, obviously. When you, when you have the May, uh, you gonna keep more deer on your property, and um, and, and obviously, if you, if you can help them grow and get to their full potential, you know that's what your overall goal is. Absolutely. Well, Chad, man, you've you've covered a lot of ground today. You shared a lot with us about what you guys are doing there, and and the photos are the proof uh, that it's that it's working for you guys. So. I wish you luck with the rest of your season, man. I hope you uh, hope y'all can finish strong, and I appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for having me. Clint Southern Falls is a unique place, man. I I really enjoyed that day we spent there back in the spring, and place has got a lot of lot going for it. Uh, not just with deer. I mean, they've got excellent turkey hunting, some really good duck hunting opportunities, dove, quail, and unique is an understatement. Yeah, yeah. What what about the rest of the real estate market right now? Is what what kind of calls are you getting right this time of year? You know, we're right in the middle of hunting season. Are guys are guys frustrated looking for hunting land? Uh, the guy are folks looking at interested in selling their land? What what's happening right now? It's a good mix of both. Like we've discussed before, I think both buyers and sellers, the the savvy ones, are realizing that these interest rates we've got right now are still historically low, so they're trying to take advantage of them on both ends of the market. But you've got a lot of buyers that are excited by hunting season you know we're just starting to see the height of deer season in terms of the rut so it's it's got a lot of people excited to to find tracks to start you know go ahead and getting in and start prepping for next season we'll hit a hit a nice ride here before turkey season then we'll we'll uh switch addictions right absolutely well if folks want to get more information about uh southern falls you got a you got a website set up for them what, what where can they go 
southernfalls.com. We've got videos, pictures, and uh, a lot of information there. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up this week. I hope you enjoyed uh, the five key components to growing some monster bucks on your property. Good luck out there this weekend. I hope you catch up with one. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Folks, we want to hear from you. So email us at pros at landhunting.com. Got a show idea or a question you want us to ask? Just email us at pros at landhunting.com. We'll see you next week.